Hello, and welcome back to One Conversation, the podcast where we believe one conversation can change a life. First and foremost, if you have not subscribed yet, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you'll be notified when new episodes are released. Also, we have a brand new host in the room. I'm so excited to have her here. She is a complete rock star at Live Violence Free and jumping on, um, and hopefully in the future as well, as a new host with us. So welcome to Sarah in the room. Hi, everyone. So glad to be here. I'm so glad to have you, Sarah. And I think the audience is going to be super stoked to have you here as well. Um, Yeah, again, Sarah's a rock star. Cannot Cannot say that enough about her, but really excited to have her here today. We're also really excited about this episode. So April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month, and today we're going to be honoring the late Daisy Coleman, who was an incredible survivor and advocate for sexual assault victims. So her birthday actually just passed back on March 30th, which is now known as Daisy Day. So we're going to dive into her story and more importantly, discuss some of the work she did to raise awareness for victims and survivors. Before we get into this, please be aware this episode might be a little triggering. We're going to be discussing her assault survivor story and also suicide. So just be advised, please take care of yourself throughout this episode, and we'll have plenty of resources uh, linked in the description as well. So like I said, this is a pretty heavy story, right? Talking about sexual violence, kind of sharing out a survivor story, but I'm just really happy that we're using our platform to tell this story and really honor Daisy Day because she was an incredibly, incredibly strong woman. And so a little bit of context, um, Daisy became open about sharing her experience and her story in person and in the award-winning documentary, Audrey and Daisy, which is on Netflix. And that was kind of part of a healing journey for her. And after that, she actually went on to be a voice for other victims and survivors. And so the point of this episode is to really shine light on a lot of the difficult realities that sexual violence victims and survivors face, because, I mean, we know there are so many barriers and challenges for survivors out there. And maybe listeners have heard about this documentary. If you haven't, I will say just a disclaimer, it's pretty triggering, right? They're going to go through the story um, and a lot of, again, just the the awful things that she faced even after that assault occurred. So, uh, but it actually really does an excellent job highlighting those hurdles, those challenges that victims and survivors face, which we're going to kind of reference throughout the episode as well. Yeah, so we are going to highlight those barriers and challenges as we move along through our story. We will also discuss some important considerations along the way. So we are going to go ahead and dive right in. So Daisy was a 14-year-old girl hanging out with her best friend at home, and they decided to drink alcohol. The girls said that at home they drank a decent amount, and it was enough to make Daisy's best friend Paige feel sick and dizzy and like she needed to lie down. Mm-hmm. It was right around that time that Daisy received texts from a guy who happened to be friends with her oldest brother. And he said that her and her friend should come over, and they can just drink and chill and hang out with a few other guys. And at that time, Daisy said her thought process was that they were freshman girls and made them feel cool that these older guys wanted to hang out with them. So Mm -hmm. they decided to go and hang out. And we know that a lot of time, younger girls can feel pressure to fit in. And if they're getting attention from someone that's a little bit older, it can make it more enticing. And we have the idea of peer pressure in that as well. And um, there's also, you know, a desire to be cool and that reputation that goes along with that. Mm -hmm. 
And especially since Daisy, she described herself as being an outcast. So, like I said, they decided to go over to the guy's house. And once they got there, they were almost separated immediately. So Paige was brought into a bedroom and she was alone. And then Daisy was left with the other guys. And they really pressured her into drinking heavily. Daisy said that the pressure felt similar to how her older brothers would sometimes pressure her into doing silly things, and she wanted to prove that she was tough and capable, so she went along with the drinking to prove herself to be able to hang out with the guys. Yeah, and that really speaks to me. Um, I grew up with two older brothers. I know exactly what that feeling is like. Uh, There were so many times, I mean, my brothers would make me kind of prove myself, right, by just doing, maybe not drinking, but um, just doing silly little things, right? Because all I wanted to do was hang out with them. I wanted to do what they were doing. I wanted to kind of prove that I was cool, right? Not like the lame little sister. And, you know, I also was kind of like an outcast kid back in school. So that feeling that pressure or, you know, just being kind of like bullied into doing something to kind of prove yourself, it's it's super relatable. And I know I'm probably not the only one in that. Um, And just taking that moment here to discuss that first element that you referenced to, uh, that peer pressure, right? We know this is huge for young people. In our teen dating violence episodes, we discussed how, I mean, peer pressure is a crucial form of manipulation to allow abuse to occur. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, you know, thinking back at that age, your entire world is typically your friends, your peers, your classmates. You're figuring out kind of who you are. And at the same time, you have this constant worry of, you know, how do other people see me or judge me? And what are these people thinking of me, right? And so they probably thought that, you know, hey, if I go back to school Monday and everyone heard about how I could like out drink the boys or I went to this party with these older guys, you know, there's probably an assumption like they were going to be praised for that, right? And sadly, I mean, the boys really preyed on them in this way, absolutely, because, adding more alcohol into their systems really allowed these guys to take advantage. And sadly enough and appallingly enough, both girls were sexually assaulted that night, uh, regardless of Daisy's best friend Paige saying no to the gentleman that assaulted her. And Paige also noted that when she was brought back out into the living room, she got a, a look at Daisy, saw Daisy, and stated that she was completely incoherent, unable to say no, or unable to even talk or really move at the time. So that's a that's a pretty intoxicated level to be at. Yeah. And with that, I think it's super important that we start to talking about victim blaming and consent as well. Yeah. Because maybe our listeners out there thinking similarly to how people in Daisy's town thought about what had happened. Like, why did they drink so much? Or why did they Mm -hmm. choose to go to this party? As much as we don't condone underage drinking, we're also going to say that alcohol or going to a party is not an invitation for a crime to happen to someone. Totally. Yeah, the alcohol she consumed did not commit the crime against her. Those boys that sexually assaulted her are the ones that did that crime against her. Mm Mm-hmm. And with that judgment and the victim blaming, it's a huge barrier for survivors and victims. And it certainly became a huge barrier for Daisy moving forward. We sit all the time. We know people don't want to say anything because they're worried they're not going to be believed. And that victim blaming is a huge part of it. Right. And clearly, we know that there was no consent. First of all, the age of consent in Missouri is 17. And Missouri is where this crime happened. And at the Mm -hmm. time, those girls were only 13 and 14. 
And even beyond their age, they were clearly extremely intoxicated. Daisy wasn't even able to speak, so there's no way she could give consent. Like, consent has to be a firm and clear yes. Yeah. And these girls were impressionable, and with every sense of that, they were taken advantage of. Absolutely. Yeah, and just overall, just victim-blaming, it's a huge factor in what we see, and we see it all the time, and it's not just... Whether they were drinking, it's like, well, why were they there? What right. are they wearing? Like, mm-hmm. it's a constant, any it's so reason. common. Yeah, anything that can be found to blame the victim, it's almost always looked at. And mm-hmm. it can make everything really difficult for the victim to heal. Yeah. So we're not going to go into all the details of the immediate aftermath of the incident. If you're more curious, please go watch the documentary on Netflix. But after the incident did occur, Daisy did have a SART exam, and it was in fact a proof that she was assaulted. So after that, those boys were brought in for questioning by the police. And although they were extremely reluctant and very careful with how they retold the story to police, Daisy's perpetrator, Matthew Barnett, did admit to having sex with Daisy, and another one of the guys admitted that he was taking a video of it. He did later delete, and the police weren't able to get that evidence. Mm-hmm. All the while, Daisy and her older brother went to the same school, and Daisy began to be bullied relentlessly. She was unable to stand up for herself because police and attorneys instructed her that it's best that she doesn't say anything because it could jeopardize her case. Right. And this is kind of where things take a turn. Only a short time later, all of the charges were dropped, which is just crazy to me because they admitted mm-hmm. that they had sex with her. Everyone knew that she had drank alcohol, so she could not yeah. consent at all. When many of the residents believed that this occurred because of the boys' status. Not only were a lot of them local football stars, but the main perpetrator was the grandson of a Missouri state official. Yeah, there was... I mean, a lot of things, right, Um, kind of getting in the way of justice here, it seemed like. And in the documentary itself, the sheriff that was involved in this case, I think was like the head of, you know, investigating this case, says, and I quote, one of the parts people really blew out of proportion was the word rape. Nothing that night ever rose to the level of the elements of the crime of rape, which quick pause here, um, doing more research in the time that this happened in Missouri, I mean, unfortunately, he was like actually kind of right because of the way the law was stated. And so I'll go on here and clarify a little bit more. But he went on to say, whether we agree with this or not, the people of that age in the state of Missouri can have consensual sex. Forcible compulsion is the primary component of the crime of rape. And, you know, it's just not there. So that last bit, the forcible compulsion, that's what I was kind of speaking to. And I'm saying, sadly, he was kind of right. Because at the time, that was the legal definition, which has since been updated. Um, It was updated in 2017 to be way more inclusive. But Something that he kind of got wrong here was the age of consent, because yes, although these boys were 17 years old, these girls were not. And so there's still um, just a lot to kind of make me sad about here, right? It, It definitely what he said. I guess the interviewers, after he made that statement in the documentary, asked, um, so forcible compulsion doesn't apply if you've had sex with someone who's unconscious or semi-conscious? To where he stated, well, see, that's a whole other element for lawyers and legislators and people like that to figure out. And so, yeah, like it, it, 
actually pained me <laughs> when I was watching the documentary <laughs> to hear him say all this. Uh, everything about that statement, it just it just didn't make a lot of sense. And again, you know, I looked up the law and I'm like, okay, but still the consent factor and still, you know, investigating is your job as an officer, right? And so, yeah, so many things um, really got to me. But um, I will also note that earlier in the documentary, the sheriff mentions, and again, I quote, young girls will do almost anything for attention. So, I mean, there is pretty clear bias here for me. Mm -hmm. And honestly, that view of law enforcement not taking victims seriously or believing them, just another huge barrier to point out for sexual violence survivors. I mean, they had a medical report from her SART exam, which is the uh, sexual assault or what some people may call a rape kit exam, right? That was done stating she was in fact assaulted. They took her blood level alcohol at the hospital. It was above 130, the legal level being 0.08. And so the doctors actually said she was extremely close to not only blood poisoning, but also being at comatose levels. So Clearly, I mean, beyond intoxicated, not able to give consent. And again, you know, the age factor there, right? Being 13, 14, not the legal age to give consent for sex in the state of Missouri at that time. And so the victim blaming, I mean, it really is notable, right? That view of girls doing anything for attention. And I mean, sadly, Daisy received so many threats. She was taunted. There was extreme bullying, not only her, but also her brother that attended the same school. I mean, these guys were, you know, quote unquote, friends of his. They played on the same sports team. So essentially, they were both kind of ostracized, right? But, you know, that kind of backlash for her as a survivor, it's it's a really similar experience as well, right? And another huge reason why people don't report if this has happened to them, because they may not think it's even worth it to come forward, right? If we see things like this going on in the news, or we hear about these kinds of stories, other survivors may think, you know, I'm going to face probably so much more trauma, so much more, um, you know, just unfortunate backlash and being blamed for something that was a crime committed against me. So what's the point of, you know, adding more trauma to what's already happened? And it's sad, but that's, you know, kind of an honest reality of how a lot of victims and survivors may feel about reporting. And so moving on, I mean, when this case was overturned, it, it caused a firestorm on social media. Uh, and this brought national attention to reopening the case. And I mean, although it was a great way to see that people, you know, were in support of her and they, they wanted this case to be judged in a fair way, Daisy also did go on to say, um, and this is a quote, I don't know if the whole nation needed to be involved in it. I would have liked only to get the attention of a few people who could do something about it. Yeah, and that brings up the traumatizing nature of just having to tell your story or mm -hmm. having your story be known on such a big level. Survivors yeah. are already going through so much mental gymnastics dealing with the trauma of what had happened to them. And then for a whole community to be choosing sides and publicly mm -hmm. discussing the details of what happened and then judging whether or not they believe you, that can just be devastating to anyone to have their totally. like whole life on display and like, oh, is this person lying? Is this person telling the truth? It's right. It's got to be, it's re-traumatizing the victims, in fact. Yeah. So the case was re-examined and Daisy's perpetrator was eventually charged with a misdemeanor and put on probation. Just reading that just makes me upset because it's like mm -hmm. the probation is a slap on the wrist. We have Daisy right. who's being scrutinized in public and re-traumatized all the time. It's like, oh, 
here's probation. Don't get yourself in trouble again. Right. Yeah. So Daisy was continually drugged through the mud on social media. The family was being threatened and their houses actually burned down. The glimmer of hope in Daisy's story came from when another survivor named Delaney Henderson recognized how similar that their assault stories were. And she actually reached out to Daisy and had asked for her to meet up and join a support group for survivors. This started Daisy's journey of healing and advocacy because being believed as a survivor and feeling heard and understood is one of the most impactful things for a survivor. Yeah. So Daisy went on to co-establish Safe Bay, which is an advocacy group she created with other survivors she met and became friends with from the survivor support group that she attended. So Safe Bay seeks to educate teens on consent, healthy relationships, and assault with the goal of ending sexual assault among teens. And I want to do give a quick shout out to Daisy's brother, Charlie, who supported her throughout the whole process of dealing with this incident. And he mm. also went on to be a little league coach and utilize the coaching platform to have transformative conversations with his teams after he overheard some of those players talking about girls in a derogatory way. And we know yeah. how powerful these lessons can be so at live violence free we actually ran a program at our local middle school and our high school called coaching boys into men where a wrestling coach from the middle school and high school used the curriculum to implement prevention minded conversation at their practices mm. we just know it's so important for people to speak up especially when they're in positions of influences like that yeah. Supporting survivors is one of the most crucial things we can do for them, and it's especially important that if we're able to support them, we use our voice to do so. Yeah. So unfortunately, Daisy ended up taking her life in 2020, but she does leave behind a legacy of support and empowering survivors, as well as an incredible organization to carry out life-changing work preventing sexual violence. Her passing is a really sad reminder that healing isn't always linear. It's going to have big ups and downs throughout the entire mm -hmm. process. And we know that because assault victims are 10 times more likely to attempt suicide than those who haven't been assaulted. This is why it's so important for victims to believe right off the get-go. And we want to make sure that all survivors feel and hear that support. Yeah, absolutely. And I love just, I mean, hearing about her brother who still works within the Safe Bay organization. I love just hearing the fact that he utilized that platform to kind of change the culture in that space he was, right? Or whatever school that was in. Because uh, that is, that's so important. I mean, the way that other people, you know, do not accept maybe certain derogatory language, maybe certain jokes to be made, um, or just different, you know, really harmful beliefs about certain things in assault to exist. I mean, that's that's huge. And especially as coaches, they have such an incredible connection. I mean, they, they fill such an incredible role. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's why I was so happy when we, you know, ended up taking on Coaching Boys into Men, implemented it in our local middle and high school, because yeah, that's just a huge opportunity right there, right? And of course, you know, we're not going to advocate or say that it's always a male perpetrated issue. That's not the case mm -hmm. with sexual violence. Statistically, it does happen more often. But, you know, just again, creating that different culture um, to hopefully make it so if something happens in that space, in that area, you know, maybe the common beliefs won't be 
kind of what happened in, in the culture where Daisy lived, right? Those those victim-blaming beliefs or those those really damaging beliefs towards victims and survivors. And so, yeah, this was a great thing to discuss today because, yeah, I think so many of the barriers that a lot of people face were, were really highlighted in her story. And it's so important. And especially, you know, with her um, now being gone and having passed away, you know, she told that story, did that documentary for a reason and continued her advocacy work for a reason. And that was, you know, to share her experiences in the hopes that it helps others. And so I'm really happy that, yeah, we, again, have this platform. We're able to just extend her message even more today because it's a really, really important one, as difficult as it may be to hear a really, really important story. And so, with all of that, um, you know, again, we left out a lot of the details. We really wanted to highlight you know, again, those those challenges, those barriers that are pretty common. But if you're curious, you can go ahead and watch the documentary. I think it's a good time to do a little breath work, right? And just kind of calm and center and relax. I mean, this conversation was, you know, a little triggering and I'm sure for a lot of listeners out there as well. So we want to make sure that we are taking care of ourselves and others. And so if you are in a space right now to take on this meditation, Go ahead and get yourself into a comfortable seated position or into a comfortable space, whatever it looks like for you. And we're going to be doing kind of more of a trauma-informed meditation today. So again, maybe your space of meditation is in a corner of a room. Maybe it's close to an exit point, like a door, or close enough where you know people that make you feel safe are around or near you. But get into whatever comfortable space or position you'd like. Feel free to leave your eyes open. Or if you're more comfortable closing them, choose whatever feels best for you. I want you to start taking slow, deep breaths into your nose and out through your mouth. Big breath in and a big breath out. Start to fall into a rhythm with your breath. And as we're finding that rhythm in our breathing, start to ground your attention to your weight in that chair or on the floor, maybe your back against the chair, or your feet on the floor, whatever connection points you have, start to put your attention there. And with every exhale, allow yourself to sink into those contact points. As you continue with your deep breathing in through your nose and out through your mouth, notice sensations from around you. Maybe certain smells or sounds and continually breathe into the space while noticing any sensations that come. If any thoughts come to your mind, 
simply observe them. And instead of engaging with them, just be an observer of your thoughts. Remind yourself that you are a powerful director of your own thoughts, giving you a greater control over your inner experience. And come back to your breath, noticing your inhales and your exhales, the sensation of your breath rising and falling. There's nothing you need to do or change here. Simply observe your breath as it passes. You are in control. Continue to follow your breath. If thoughts intrude, just refocus on your breathing. Enjoy a few deep breaths here in silence. On your next inhale, take a big breath in through your nose and hold it before a big exhale. One more big breath in and hold. And a big exhale. And you can revert back to your normal breathing. Start to slowly bring yourself back into the room. You can wiggle fingers and toes, roll your wrists and ankles, do whatever stretches or adjustments. So I hope you enjoyed that little meditation. But we are going to be linking a lot of things below. So we are definitely going to be linking the Safe Bay website. Again, Safe Bay is the organization that Daisy and others created to prevent sexual violence. We're going to have some suicide support resources, a wonderful campaign site. The campaign is called Start by Believing, which does incredible work uh, advocating on the behalf of sexual violence victims and survivors, and a lot of other information for people to get involved in advocacy work and in working for and with survivors. And if you're in the Tahoe area, you can always contact Live Violence Free for anonymous conversation. We're going to have our info below. There's multiple ways to reach out to us. And lastly, we will have national and international resources linked as well. Um, I will also put the trailer for the documentary down there so you can feel free to check that out, decide if that's something you would like to watch and get the rest of the story. So before we leave here today, just remember, if you are a victim or survivor of sexual violence, you are not alone. We are here for you. There's a lot of wonderful organizations out there that are here for you. We also want to say rest in peace to both Audrey and Daisy. And we appreciate all of you listening in to today's important episode. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast, and we hope you will join us for our next conversation.